beginning here on the top of Peitet, Umad Aleph, by the two dots. From Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi, B'Sha'ah Shirad Moshe, M'lifnei HaKadosh Baruch Hu, B'Satan B'mar L'Fanav, Ribono Shalom, Torah, Heichanhi. So the Satan shows up and says to Hashem, what happened to the Torah? Tosafot asks the obvious question, V'im Tomar, V'chi Satan lo'e Yudea, Matan Torah? Where was he for the big event? How come he didn't know about Matan Torah? Right, before we you know, gave him, right, he gave him a little help. He took care of the Malach HaMavit, sent him off, distracted him with something else so that he couldn't bother Hashem while he was giving the Torah to Klal Yisrael. So that's why he missed the big event. So, Marlo, Nitati Al-Aretz. I gave it down to the land. So he goes down to the land, the Satan goes and asks, where is the Torah? God knows its ways. So he goes down to the ocean, he goes, where, where is it? He said back to him, and the, the Yam says, it's not with me. He went to the depths, and this is what we just quoted before. Viyamamar ein imadi avadon v'mavet amru bo'oznenu shamanu shima. This is like da 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 da. This is a pasuk that's later on in the same parak in Yov. Loss and death said bo'oznenu shamanu. We heard in our ears shima. It's fame. We've heard about it. We we got some wind of where it is. Kazar marlefnei kodesh baruch hu v'yonu shalom kipasti b'cholaret v'lomatzatia. Search the whole land and I didn't find it. Go to the son of Amram, to Moshe. Torah that Hashem gave you, where is it? Who am I that a guy would give me the Torah? But are you a liar, a trickster? What is this? Of course I gave you the Torah. You have this treasure, this beloved treasure that you are longing for all the time. I'm going to take credit for it. I'm going to say that it really, I really deserve it, that it belongs to me. Since you diminished yourself, we called after your name, Shnemar. The end of Malachi, it says, Remember, the Torah of Moshe Avdi, of Moshe. It's called Torah to Moshe. Because Moshe Rabbeinu diminished himself, said that he was not worthy of accepting the Torah, even though he was the primary figure, the one who brought the Torah down. Nevertheless, because of his anivut, Hashem said the reward for that type of humility is that the Torah itself will be called Torah Moshe. As you notice, Rabbi Shubin Levi is the author of most of these memorials with regards to the Matan Torah, Mamad Har Sinai, so the Gemara is going through them one by one. Vamar Bishu Ben Levi, Bisha, Shalom Moshele Marom, Matzala Kodesh Baruch Hu Shaya Kushir Ktarim Lo Otiot. He was tying the crowns on the Otiot. That's what we know as Shatnei's Gates, the three little Zainim that go on top of the letters that are called Shatnei's Gates. Those are the letters that have the crowns on them. And he sees Hashem putting the crowns on them. Amalo Moshe. Ain shalom So Hashem says to Moshe, what, they don't greet in your city where you come from? They don't say hello? You know, good morning. Where's the greeting? You showed up. You didn't say anything. Moshe says back to Hashem, I can't open the greeting. I'm the Evet. 
You're the Rav. You wait for the master to open the greeting, and then you respond. But I can't open up the greeting. Said he should have helped me. Helped me here, as Rashi points out, means you should say, good job, or do well with what you're doing. You know, there's a way to encourage what Hashem was doing. Hashem was working on these tarim, on the otiot. Moshe should have said something positive to encourage Hashem to continue. Miyad Amarlo. Now Miyad, as Rashi says, not right away, when he came up another time, this other time is with the chait of the miraglim. And he says, that there, when Moshe came up, he gives Hashem a push, a favorable word. And he says, you, the strength of Hashem should now rise, like you said. So Moshe learned from the previous time what he should do the next time he came up, even though he wasn't going to say hello and good morning, but that he should encourage Hashem's actions and that which he was doing. The Agarata here is also a cross-reference to Menachot Chavtet Amud Bet, and Menachot Chavtet Abudet, when it says the continuation of the story is here, he's putting the crowns on the letters. Continuation of the story is Moshe says, what are these crowns for? And Hashem says, Atid, in the future there will be a great person who will doresh from each one of these crowns something, and his name is Rabbi Akiva. So Moshe Rabbeinu says, you know, why are you giving me the, for the Torah for me? You have this great guy. So Hashem lets Moshe sit in in a shiur from Rabbi Akiva. He sits in the shiur from Rabbi Akiva and he doesn't understand a word of what's going on. So he's all upset. He's embarrassed. He doesn't know how could it be that this is Torah, they're learning Torah, and Moshe has no clue what's going on. And finally, somebody has something in the shiur, and Rabbi Akiva says, it's Aloha the Moshe Misinai. And Moshe is then comforted by the fact that it's Aloha the Moshe Misinai. Just to, to suggest over here an explanation that Rabbi Akiva was a huge mechadesh. He learned things from logic. And we do have permission. Human beings, because the Torah was given to us, we have the ability or the permission to be mechadesh, things in the Torah. But anything that we say or anything that we are mechadesh has to be anchored in the Misoro. And that's, I think, really what the story is. Moshe is there. He doesn't understand anything that Rabbi Akiva is doing because that's the way of the Torah. The Torah can be chidush. We can each contribute our part or our parcel to the Torah. But nevertheless, when he says that it's Allah Moshe Misinai, Rabbi Akiva is acknowledging that it has to be anchored in the Misoro. And that's what gives comfort to Moshe Rabbeinu, that even though things are going to change and the Torah is going to develop because of the nature of Torah being given to human beings, nevertheless, Moshe is the source for everything because it's anchored in the Misoro of Moshe Rabbeinu. So that's really the continuation of the story that we don't have here that's found in the Gemara in Menachot. Now, the Gemara brings another Memra, Vamar Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi. My dichtiv, what is meant by Vayariyam ki Bushesh Moshe? The Am saw that Moshe was tarrying, was delayed in returning, and that prompts them to make the ego. So, Altigrab Bushesh, Elu Ba'ushesh. Don't say Bushesh, that he tarried or delayed, but he didn't come in the sixth hour. Bishash Allah Moshe Lamarom, Amar Lahem, Lisra Lusuf Abayim Yom. At the end of 40 days, at the beginning of the sixth hour, I'm going to come. At the end of 40 days, the Satan shows up, and he mixes up the world, meaning he causes confusion. Where's Moshe Rabbeinu? He's up in the heavens. It's already the sixth hour. Where is he? He's not here. They didn't pay attention to him. Mate. He says, your Rebbe Moshe has died. Then he showed them his 
coffin, his bed, deathbed, floating in the sky. And then they were convinced that Moshe really was dead. And he said, this Moshe Aish has disappeared. What do you mean he's gone? Gone because they assume now that he had died because he did not return at the proper time. Rashi over here brings a calculation. Interesting calculation. First of all, he says about the Yetzirah. And the Satan are one and the same. He says that they both are chasing after man to cause him to sin. So anytime you see Satan or Yitzhah they're interchangeable. Even though Tosafot over here said that the Satan and the Malachamovit are interchangeable. Someone says that he's the Midatadin. That's not right about the Satan. That's not what the Satan means. It doesn't mean the way of justice, the way of exactitude. Rather, it means the Yitzhah That's number one. Number two is... He says, what did they fail in the calculation? So Rashi claims over here that when Moshe went up, he went up in the morning. We know that every time that he went up, he went up in the morning. And then he came down, he was supposed to come down in the sixth hour. Rashi claims that the calculation was that he had to be up there for 40 days and 40 nights. And that means a complete day and night, starting from the night and day. If he went up during the daytime, that first day doesn't count. Since that first day doesn't count, the 40th day was actually a day after they thought he was going to come down. They calculated the 40 days from when he left, when he went up. And they thought, you know, 40 days, 40 times 24 hours, that's when he's coming back. The miscalculation was that it wasn't just 40 times 24 hours, it was 40 times starting from night to day. So the first day didn't count. So he actually was going to return a day later, and that's what caused the confusion here. That's why when Moshe didn't come down, they started to get worried. And the Satan had the ability to play on them because of that. That's what Rashi claims. Tosafot on the other hand, says that he thinks that's wrong. Why does it have to be that way? Where did Rashi ever come up with this? It has to be day and night, and the night has to precede the day, whole days. There's no such demand that that be the case. And then for it says, ri ben meir. So here, Tosfot puts the ri, not the standard ri that you see in the Tosfot, but the ri ben meir, who's the rivam. The rivam is the Rabbeinu Yitzchak, the son of Rabbeinu Meir. Rabbeinu Meir is the son-in-law of Rashi. He's Rashi's son-in-law. And Rabbeinu Meir has three children. His three children are the Rabbeinu Shmuel, who is the Rashbam, that we know, the famous Rashbam, Rabbeinu Shmuel ben Rabbi Meir. He has a son, the Ri, Rabbi Yitzchak ben Rabbi Meir, who was known as the Rivam, because, and not to confuse him with the Ri, he's the Ri, Rabbi Yitzchak ben Rabbi Meir, and he's a third son, Rabbi Yaakov ben Rabbi Meir. But they couldn't call him the Rivam, because he already had an older brother, the Rivam, who was Rabbi Yitzchak, so they called him the Rabbeinu Tam. That's why he's known as the Rabbeinu Tam. Those are the three children of Rabbeinu Meir, the son-in-law of Rashi. So over here, Veini Rather Ri Ben Meir, the Rivam here, the grandson of Rashi, is arguing on his grandfather and says that that's not right. He says that, well, where do you ever come up with this extra day or think about the night and the day? He says that's not what happened over here. And number two is, he mentions over here that he thinks that Rashi's calculation about the days, he says, if you count, we know that Moshe descended on the 17th of Tammuz because that's when he broke the Luchot. That's one of the things we fast for on the 17th of Tammuz. It must be that he counted the day that he went up because otherwise you can't get to the 17th of Tammuz unless you count the day that he ascended. So he says, as long as you count nights after the day, it should be fine. He says, in addition to that, if you follow Rashi's interpretation, then you get an extra day. And we know that there are three sets of 40 days. The first set ends on Duzayim Betamuz. The second set ends on what seems to be Erev Rosh Chodesh Elul, the last day of Av. 
And the fourth set ends on Yom Kippur. And that's why Yom Kippur is a Yom of Slichan Kapara, because Moshe brought down the second Luchot on Yom Kippurim. So he says, that's the same problem. If you push off like Rashi a day here, you're also going to end up with a problem when it comes to Yom Kippur. It's going to be off a day. He thinks Rashi's calculation is incorrect, because if you receive the Torah in Vav Sivan, Moshe is Allah the Maro Manzayin Sivan. If you look at the remainder of Sivan, Sivan is Malay. So if Sivan is a 30-day month, from Zion Sivan until the end of Sivan itself to the 30th day of Sivan is 23, 24-hour periods that he's up there. And then through the 17th of Tammuz, you have another 17, 24-hour periods. And that gets you a total of 40. And that's why Tosafot says you have to count from the beginning of Zion from the time that he went up. That's the Rivam Shita. On the other hand, according to Rashi, where you have to count the night and the day, that means that the first day that counts is Chet, but it's Chet at the tail end of the day. And so therefore, according to Rashi's calculation, he wouldn't have completed the full set of days until the tail end of Yudzayin B'Tamuz. And that's why the Tosafot or the Rivam here objects to Rashi's calculation and understanding of the Gemara. And he also mentioned that what Rashi says in Pashat Kitisa, that on Yutep B'Tamuz Allah, that he went up on the 19th of Tammuz, that he came down on the 17th and then went back up for the second set on the 19th of Tammuz is also wrong. So he says, because otherwise he won't fall out on Yom Kippur. This is also a calculation done by the Gemara in Wobakamo, and Tosfot over there, it's not so simple because the days don't fall out. You have to really play around to get to the right days to end up with it, being on Yudzayin B'Tamuz and Yom HaKippurim. But they're unwilling to accept Rashi's explanation over here of why the delay happened, because I don't see any reason to believe that that's the case. The truth is, Ben Israel really didn't know that Moshe was going to be up there for 40 days, because he never told them. We only know that he was up there for 40 days post-fact. That's how we know that he was there 40 days. But before he goes up, there's no indication that he's going to be there for 40 days. And over here, it seems to be that Ben Israel somehow know that he should be up there only for 40 days, that Moshe told him, I'm going to be there for 40 days. But the Torah never relays such information. It doesn't tell us that he's going to be there for 40 days. All right, I'm a my Har Sinai. Did you ever hear what the meaning of Har Sinai is? What is Sinai? Where is the derivative, the etymology of such the word? Israel. says it's a mountain upon which many miracles were done for Bnei Israel. So he says, Har Nisai, Then it shouldn't be called Har Sinai, it should be called Har Nisai. Sinai doesn't mean nice. Nisai means nice. Elahar shenaseh simantov li Israel. So it says simantov. So it says har simanai mi If that's the case, it should be called the mountain of the sign of the siman. my time loshkichat kamei the of Rav Huna of Yeshua. Why weren't you found in front of Rav Papa and Rav Huna on a regular basis? Ma'aini ve'agadato de Rav Chista ve'rabat brei de Rav Huna. That they look into the agadato of Rav Chista ve'rabat brei de Rav Huna and that of Rabat brei de Rav Huna. They both said, My Har Sinai, Har the mountain upon which hatred was dispensed to the other nations. And that is seconded by this statement, There are five names to Sinai. Midbartzin. Why is it called Midbartzin? That Benesha were given the command about the Torah. Midbar Kadesh. Shnit Kashru Israel Alav. That was the sanctification of Bnei Israel happened at Har Sinai. Midbar Kedemot. Shnit Na Ktuma Alav. Because the Torah, which is known as Ktuma, that which preceded the world, was given on it. Midbar Paran. It's also known as Midbar Paran. Sheh Paru Ravu Ala Israel. The Bnei Israel expanded on it. I'll come back and explain that in one second. Midbar Sinai. Sheh Das Sinala Kum Alav. And it's called Midbar Sinai because 
hatred was then dispensed to the other nations. Umashmo, what's its real name? Choref, that's its real name. Uplige de Rabbi Abau, and that argues on the position of Rabbi Abau. Dam Rabbi Abau Har Sinai Shemo. Its real name is Har Sinai. Because destruction then was dispensed to the other nations from it. So actually the limud or the drusher is very similar, but they play from different sides. One of them says that Sinai is the real name, and Chorev is the play or the indication of what happened there. And the other one says Chorev is the real name, and Sinai is the play. But both of them say that something negative happened to the non-Jews, and that's because they were unwilling to accept the Torah. And that Bnei Israel did accept the Torah, whereas the other nations did not accept the Torah. And that is what Rashi says, that they didn't accept the Torah there. And that's what's meant by these two statements. Now, the other statement about Peru Viravu, Bnei Israel expanded over there. They had children over there. So Rashi says something interesting. He says, Every one of the women there became pregnant with a male child. When God says to the people, or commands Moshe to tell the people, go back to your tents. Go back to your tents. They were separated from their wives for the preparations for Matan Torah, Mamad Har Sinai. And then, they're granted permission to return to their wives, their Ohel, which is Shuvalachem Lolechem. And then Rashi claims from that, that they all had male children. He says, I have no idea where that comes from. I don't know, I don't know where the source for that is. So, I just want to note that back on Shabbat, Daf Lamet, think that there is a source for this. And that is a very similar story by Shlomo Amelech when he consecrates the Migdash. After he consecrates the Migdash, he has two seven-day parties. And then, Bayom HaShemini, Shalach Am. On the eighth day, he sends the nation home. The Yom HaShemini, here in Eretz, so you don't read this, but in Chutzlar, it's the Tav Torah for Shemini Atzeret. But here it's, Bayom HaShemini Shalach Adam, Vayavarchu Atamelech. And they give a bracha to the Melech, Vayuchu Lolehem. Go back to their tents, Smechim, happy, Vituvei Leivav. Good heart, good cheer. Al kol HaTova, Asher Asher Asem, LeDavid Abdol Yisrael Amo. For all the good that Hashem has done to David, his servant, and his nation. So now the Gemara Darshan's this. Vayuchu Lolehem. They went back to their tents. They found their wives to her. They were happy because they had just been in the presence of God. Why were they of good cheer, of good heart? Each one of them was conceived a male child and gave birth. That they forgave him for the sin of Bacheva, and then for Bnei Israel, they forgave them for the sin for overriding Yom Kippur that year. But the drush over here is again something about what's the storyline over here that he sends them by Yehuda Olehem. They go back to their tents, similar to over here where it says Shuvalachem Olechem. And in both these instances, what was the experience? The experience was Hashrat Hashchina. The Shchina was presence by Shlomo Melech. It was Hashrat Hashchina the Beit Hamikdash. There, Hashem's presence now enters into the Mikdash when Shlomo fil- finishes building it. The cloud comes upon, that fills up the Kodesh HaKodeshim and shows that Hashem has now rested his Shekhinah there. Mamad Har Sinai was also an experience of Ashrat HaShekhinah. So I think maybe that's the connection between them, that the Shuvah Lechem Lechem, same way they were dar- they darshaned it by the return of the people after the celebration of Ashrat HaShekhinah by the Beit HaMikdash. Again, like the Ramban says, Allah Torah, that the Mishkan, the Mikdash, are a continuation of Mamad Har Sinai. So if that's the experience of those that were present at the quote-unquote Mamad Har Sinai of the Beit HaMikdash when they returned home, so to over here, maybe they're making the same drasha. So that was just 
maybe a possibility about where Rashi says, I don't know where it's from, that, that maybe that is the source or the connection between the two events. The next thing to discuss, and this I don't have really any good answers for, because neither did Tosafot, which is that the Gemara here connects between names that are clearly different. Gemara here says that Midbar Sinai, Midbar Paran, Midbar Sin are all the same place. In Midbar Kadesh also. They're all the same place. And it's clear in the Torah that they have nothing to do with each other, that they're different places. Tosfot already points it out. He says, Kashadari, it's clear that Midbar Sin and Midbar Paran are in two different locations. And also, Ben Paran the Sinai, between Paran and Sinai is also, it's an 11-day journey that we know at the beginning of Sefer Dvarim. It says that there was an 11-day journey from Sinai until Midbar Paran, which is where they sent the Miraglim from. That's number one. So he says, in Cain, Midbar Sinu Paran Sinai Lav Kolechad. They're just not one place. So how could you claim that they're all one place? So he answers for that. He says, Which is true. It's one large desert. It's at different locations within the large desert. The desert spans from what we know today as the Sinai Peninsula. And it comes around the southern end of Israel. You know, the Negev. The whole area of the Negev and south of there of Eretz Israel. And then around to the Jordanian side. So this Midbar is. It's a very, very large Midbar. The claim here is that these are different parts of that same Midbar. True, they're not the same location within that Midbar, but they're all part of a singular entity. So that's okay. And that deals with at least some of the problem. The real problem is, Mikashadari is that Midbar Kdemot, Ayab Israel. problem with that is that Midbar Kdemot, which you also mentioned here, it's from Kedem. Kedem is the terminology used in the Torah for East. Kedem is the, the face, the opening side Kedem, the first side, because that's where the sun rises from. We've discussed this in the past, that all the maps in their time faced towards the east, not like ours that face with north up. There's that east on the upper side, because that was Kedem. Achor is the west. So Midbar Kedemot is on the eastern side of Eretz Yisrael, whereas all of these Midbarot that are mentioned here are on the southern end of Israel. Midbar Tzin, Midbar Paran are clearly from the southern side of Eretz Yisrael. So there he says, I don't have a reconciliation for that. I don't know what to do with that. Just pointing it out to you here, Chazal just seemed to wash them all together, bring them all together. It's pretty clear from the Torah and the Masaot that they're different places. I think that Chazal in these types of situations take a broader stroke of what's considered a singular place. They obviously were different places, but they're talking about the travails of B'nai Yisrael and the Midbar and what benefit they got out of it and what good came out of it. And therefore, they darshan all the names that are associated with their travails in the Midbar. Right now, the Gemara continues. We're back to our Mishnah now. We dealt with it first was, how do we know that Pelechet Sheikh is for three days? That's the Mishnah. Then the Mishnah continued. How do we know that you should tie a Lashon Shel Zorit, you tie a string, a crimson string, on the Sayir HaMishtaleach? And now the Gemara says, Kishanimi Ba'ilev. Basuk that we quote, to prove that that's the case is, Now, why does it use kashanim in plural? It should have said kashani. If your chatechem are like the shani, because they use the shelig in the singular form. Why is the shani in the plural form? should be consistent within the pasuk. So that's what the Gemara wants to know. Kashanim, kashanim, it should have said in the singular. If your sins are like these years, just all those years that were there through until now, then I can widen them, I'll take care of them. It's a broader stroke of sin that we're speaking about here. We're not just talking about 
that day, but all the years that accumulated sin until that point in time, Hashem says that I will widen that. Darash Rava. What is meant by Pasuk? This is the earlier half of the Pasuk that we just quoted. Let's go out. Let us reason, says Hashem. Rav is pointing out that there's inconsistencies in the Pasuk. It says, L'chuna. What does it mean, let's go out? It's Bona. Come and hear me, Bayulay. Hashem is speaking to Bnei Yisrael and saying, come here, you know, let's talk about this. Let's arrange something that will make this work out. So why is he saying to them, L'chuna, go out? I mean, he wants them to come. He wants to speak to them. He wants to bring them in. That's number one. Yomar Hashem. Now, Yomar Hashem indicates that it's in the future. But what is it? It says, should have said Amar Hashem. Hashem said. Hashem said, come here. Why is it should it say, Yomar? Hashem will say, come here. Why is it written in the future? So the answer is, Latilavo. This is for the future. In the future. Yomar lo'em HaKadosh Baruch Yisrael, L'chu na Go to your forefathers. And that's what the L'chu is, not Bo'u. Don't come to me, but go out. What is it? Go out? Go out and speak to your forefathers. And they will chastise you. respond to Hashem. Who are we going to go to? We're going to go to Avram. You said to him, You should know that your descendants will have to go into Galut for 400 years and be oppressed and afflicted. He didn't object. He didn't say anything. He said, okay, that's fine. We're going to go to Yitzchak, who gave a bracha to Esav, that if Yaakov does not act properly, then Esav will break the yoke that is upon him, and he will then ascend. We can't go to him. He didn't ask for any rachamim on us. We're going to go to Yaakov. I'm going to go down with you to Mitzrayim, and then on Gamalecha alone, and I'll come back up with you. And Rashi says there was a remez in that to all the galiyot. He still didn't ask for any rachamim. So where are we going to go? Shav Yumar Hashem. Now Hashem says. That's what it means, Yumar Hashem. Hashem is going to speak up. Since you tied yourselves to me, if your sins are red like the crimson, they will be white like the snow. And that's a continuation of the Pasuk. The Pasuk reads, that luchuna v'nivecha yomar Hashem im iu chatechem b'shanim kashel yalbinu im yadimu katola patzemer iu. So that's Hashem's promise to them. Why is Hashem forgiving them, and why is Hashem taking the responsibility for removing their sins? Because Bnei Yisrael said we have nowhere else to go. We can't go to Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov because they didn't defend us at the time that they found out things weren't going to be so good. So they didn't defend us in the past. They're not going to take care of us now. So you, Hashem, are the only one we can rely on. Shem says, well, if you're going to rely on me, if you're putting all your faith in me, then I will take care of it. I will remove the sins. What is meant over here by this pasuk? You are our father. Abraham didn't know us. And Israel did not recognize us, did not acknowledge us. You, Hashem, are our father, our redeemer, your name is forever. Hashem's going to go to Abraham and say, Your children have sinned to me. It should be wiped out to sanctify your name. So when Hashem wipes out evil, when Hashem wipes out those that do not follow His ways, there's a Kiddush Hashem. Because then people see that if you don't follow the way of Hashem, that you're going to be eliminated. 
So wipe them out. Okay, Hashem's a little taken aback. Avram Avinu doesn't uh, defend his children. He's really waiting to have them be destroyed by Hashem. He says, all right, Amar Imar Leil Yaakov. Let me at least try Yaakov. Yeah, difficulty raising his children. He understands this difficulty, the difficulties and travails that people go through. Maybe he'll be more inclined to ask for mercy for them. So he says to Yaakov, Wipe them out. That's the case. Wipe them out. And didn't find any good reasoning with the older one, meaning with the grandfather. And now with the young one, did I find any counsel? Meaning that Avram and Yaakov don't provide any benefit. The grandfather, Avram, the grandson, Yaakov, they're not doing anything. So he says, the only one left is Yitzchak. Let me go try Yitzchak. Your children sin to me. They're my children, not your children? Wait a second, what happened? When B'nai Israel said, when they were saying, you called them my firstborn. Now the truth is, that's out of order. B'nai B'chori is said in this week's parsha, Shmot, Perak Dalet, when Hashem tells Moshe, that I'm ready to take out Bini Bichori when he's going to speak to Paro. So that's not referencing after Harsinai. But what Rashi points out, which is also true, is that when Hashem says to Moshe Rabbeinu, or Moshe asks Hashem, why are you taking this nation out? He says, because I know, they're going to worship me on this mountain. So there was already a premeditated understanding that B'nai Israel were going to worship him on Harsinai, and therefore maybe the Gemara here associates Bini Bichori with that fact that B'nai Israel would eventually worship on Harsinai. But you see from here that you, Hashem, claim them as your ben, ben. Now all of a sudden you're dismissing them. You are not acknowledging that they're your children. How bad were they? How long does a person live? 70 years. And that's what we say, that a person lives for 70 years at most, 80 years. Drop 20 because you don't punish for the first 20 years of their life. Pasha Luchamshin, you have 50 left. Pasha says we learned it out from the Meitei Amidbar. Those in the Midbar that died were from 20 to 60. So it shows you that until 20, one is not punished for the sins. So it says until 20, let's erase that. So what are you left now? 50 years. Then, Dal Chafei De Leluta, 25 of them for the nights when they're sleeping. Half their life they're sleeping, so 25 years drop for sleep. There's only 25 years left now. Now we only have 25 left. Interesting calculation that they were sleeping half their lives. All right, I'll let it go loosely. Then, So you have drop another 12 and a half years. Of the 25 years that remain, drop 12 and a half of them. When they're actually doing something good or neutral. They have the daven. They eat. And they go to the bathroom. These are just, you know, basic activities, human activities, plus davening. So that's another 12 and a half years of their life where they're doing things that are not sinning. So now all you have left is Now we have 12 and a half left. Alright, if you can handle 12 and a half years, alright, that's it. Out of 70 years, you can handle 12 and a half, good. I'll take half and you take half. And if you said, no way, I'm not taking anything. Yitzhak, you got to carry the whole burden of the 12 and a half years. Ha, karevet, nafshai, kamach. He says, I, I gave up my life for you, meaning that I went to the Akedah for you. I can handle that. I'll handle the twelve and a half years if that's the case. Patchuvam Rom. They began the Pasuk, the Pasuk that we quoted before. You're our, our father. Alam 
Yitzchak. Yitzchak says, "Achatem b'kalsim li." For you praise me, also la kodesh baruchu. Praise Hashem. Or mechavilu Yitzchak kodesh baruchu beinayu. Yitzchak points to Hashem. Says, "Look, you got to look over there. What are you looking at me for? Look at Hashem. He's the one who took care of everything." Biad nasuin ehem lamarom vomrim. Right away, they turn their heads to the sky and say, "Ata Hashem avinu golenu malam shemecha." Gemara is playing on the difference in the pasuk. The pasuk says, "Ki ata avinu, you are a forefather." And then the next part of the pasuk is, "Avram lo yadanu, Yisrael lo yikiranu." Avram and Yisrael, Avram and Yaakov reject them. So who are they talking about? Who's our, their forefather? If those two reject them, it must be that it's Yitzchak. And that's what the developed Gadatay is. But then the end of the pasuk says, "Ata Hashem avinu, you are a father Hashem." But what happened in the beginning, it says, Ata Avinu, without Hashem's name being mentioned. And the latter half, the Pesuk says, Ata Hashem Avinu, Golein Malam Shemecha. So that's this latter half of the Garata that says that they first say to Yitzchak, Ata Avinu, you're the man, because you saved us. And Yitzchak says, no, no, I'm not the man, you got to look to Hashem. So instead of saying Ata Avinu, then they say Ata Hashem Avinu, and they look towards a Kodesh Baruch Hu. So that's what the Chazal here are darshaning on that Pasuk that is found in Ishayahu. Right, so now, Kovavino was appropriate for him to go down in chains of iron or metal. But he had merit that saved him. So he says, I would take them down with ropes. With braids of love. So here you have way they went down. Hashem says in the end is that they went down in ropes, braids of love, and that I will be for them like a merimeol, the remover of a yoke, from their cheeks, and I lay down fruit for them. As Rashi says, gave you the strength to take or to withstand the Avodat HaParach was there because took you down in a much gentle manner. I took care of you. I made things much better than they should have been. Hashem took them down in, in bonds of love. did it in a gentle manner. And He was even helping them on the way down. He took off their yoke like someone who helps them and moves them along. So all of this is in a much gentler way than what was the normal way to be taken into captivity. And that's B'schut Yaakov that they did not go down in chains like most people going to exile. They were going to exile their captives so they're taken in chains. Yaakov goes down almost, quote-unquote, willingly. He's taken down in a soft manner. And that's what is relayed by the Pasuk. Our next Mishnah, Motsi, Etzim. How much wood do you need to carry out in order to be Chayav? So here, the Gemara says, Kedei Lebashel Beitza Kala. Enough to wood that will allow you to cook a light egg. Now, a light egg over here, the Gemara is going to discuss, we've discussed in the past, Beitza Kala is a chicken's egg. Chicken's egg is not because it's light, but because it's the easiest to cook. It cooks fast. So referencing a chicken's egg, because that's the fastest one. So you need the amount of wood that it would take a kindling to light a fire that would cook an egg. So obviously, if it's easy to cook it, you need less wood, and that's the amount of wood that we're talking about over here. Tavlin, spices, you need enough spices to spice a light egg, meaning a chicken's egg, something that would be easily cooked and needs little spice. And they are mitzteref. Mitzteref over here means that different spices will come together to make a singular amount that you take out. So even it doesn't have to be one spice that you take out that spices the egg, be multiple spices. If you use multiple spices, they together have to add up to enough that would spice the egg. Klipe egozim, klipe rimonim, istis upua. So the shells of the nuts, probably the soft shells before they harden. Klipe riponim, the shells of the pomegranate. Istis is woad, pua is matter. 
As Razi points out, istis is a trelet, is a blue dye. Hua is a red dye. So these are all used in dyeing of clothing. So the amount of dye that you have to take out is take enough dye that you can dye a small beged, a small piece of cloth that is the center of the hairnet. We talked about the svacha before, the women wore them on their hair. They were really a net. But the net material, they had holes in them. But the center of the net, where it started out from, was a piece of cloth, or beged. And that the centerpiece, the ring in the middle, where they start from, and then the net expanded from there, that little centerpiece, that's what they're speaking over here. That's what you have to take out enough dye to dye that, because that's a small beged. That's a very small piece of material. Meiraglaim, urine. Natar, natrin. Borit, lye. Kamolya, which is million or smillion, which is a cleansing clay. Ashley, which is some sort of alkali type of material. These are all used in cleaning. They would tend to be cleaning or cleansing agents. It's the same material, that small baguette, that is found on the svacha in order to clean it. If you want to use these as laundry detergents to clean them, then the amount of cleansing agent you need is to remove a stain. The stain that he's referring to here is that stain of damnida. Because this is mentioned in the Gemara Nida as the cleansing agent that you use to remove a stain of the Nida. Tanina Chada Zimna. Gemara says, we already know this Mishnah. We already have a Mishnah, which is, A quill, a feather, the center of the feather, was enough to make it into a quill, a writing instrument. That's how much you have to carry out. Himaya Av, if it's very thick, Omrusas, or crushed, it's no longer usable as a pen or a quill. So then what do you bring out? So then it's enough to bring out enough of that feather that you could burn it in the fire because it's useless now. It's not useful as a pen or a quill anymore. So what are you going to do with it? You're going to use it as firewood, kindling. So how much do you have to take out? Enough to cook a light egg. What's a light egg? That's a chicken egg. That was scrambled. And it's put in a frying pan. So the reason it is, it's the fastest way to cook it. When it's scrambled in a frying pan, that's the fastest methodology for cooking it. So that's a matter of wood, or now here we're talking about kaneh, kumusim, you need in order to fire it up. So now we know already that when you're dealing with items that are used for fire, this is the requirement. So over there, it's talking about the feather, the center of the feather, the quill, fine. But why should that change when you get to wood? So why do you need to tell me this in the Mishnah? Over there, by the feather, it has no other use anymore. That's why you're using it as firewood. So we would think that wood that has alternative uses, maybe those alternative uses will govern what the size of wood is that you take out. And that is kacha deklida. Kacha or kachi in chas mean teeth. The kacha daaklida, aklida we just saw before in the Gemara, aklida is a lock or a key. It's the teeth of the key or the locking system, the mechanism. So the wood could be used for that, the small tooth on the key or in the locking mechanism, and that would be much less than we mentioned our Mishnah. So we would have thought, by the feathers, they have no other utility. So that's why, after they're not used for a quill, we use them for firewood, and the classification of how much you have to take out is to cook this egg. On the other hand, by wood, we would have thought we have other alternatives for the wood. So maybe the minimum shear is not the amount to cook the egg. Kamach our Mishnah tells you that that is the case. Even though there is things that you can be used for that are smaller, that's not their primary usage. And we're going to focus on the primary uses to determine how much you have to carry out. Very minhu. Gemara says, Tavlin, Kedelu Tabel Beitzakala. Spices the amount that to spice a small egg, a quick egg, a chicken egg. So very minhu, they bring a brighter from Avodah Zarah. It says, Tavlin, 
Shnayim v'gimel shemot mimin echad. If you have two or three different names from one type, or for three different types, asurim umitztarfim zemze. They are asur and they join together. All right, let's just understand this first of all. What does that mean? Tavlin shnayim v'gimel shemot. You have spices that are three, two or three different names. Rashi claims that it is the same header with a different adjective. There's a modifier on it. So, for instance, pilpel lavan. Popel shachor, popel aroch. They're all types of peppers. You have white pepper, black pepper, and long peppers. So that's what it means over here, that they are different shemot. They have different names to them, even though they are minachad. They're one type or species. They're all peppers, but they're different types of peppers. The Rabbeinu Tam does not like that at all. He says, I don't understand. He says, just because they have a similar name doesn't mean that they're the same species. It just means that they are all called in that way, but they're all different, and they function differently, and they taste different. He says, I don't understand why you would claim that Pipel Lavan and Pipel Shachor are different names with the same min, of the same species. It's just not the case. They're different types, totally. So the Rebbeinu Tam explains that they're different types of Isur. Over here, they're all peppers. One type of pepper, but one of them is Kilea Kerem. One of them is Orla. One of them is from Nasherah. They have different problems with them. The Gemara in Avodah Zarah is dealing with spices that are problematic. So he says, what are those spices? These are problematic spices because they are different Yisurim. One of them is a problem of Orla. One of them is a problem of Kilai Karim. One of them is a problem of Avodah Zarah. They're all the same spice, but they have different Yisurim associated with them. So that's how he explains Gimel Shemot. Now everybody agrees, but Shlosh means three different species, three different types. Talking about, you know, oregano, paprika, cumin. So that'd be three different spices. So then it says, if they're put together, asurim umitztarfim zemzeh. So Rashi claims, what does that mean? L'tavla. If you don't have enough to spice with one of them, but the three of them together spice the object, then it's asur. They're mitztaref. They join together. So Tosafot already asks, what's the difference between asurim and mitztarfim. So asurim, he says, asur etekdera. He says that asur makes whatever they're put into asur. When they spice it, they ruin it because they were asur, and now they make whatever they spiced asur. Mitztarfim, he says, is that they join together to make you chayav and malkot. To get you malkot, they join together to reach the minimum shiur that you need in order to be chayav malkot, which would usually be a kazayit. So to get to a kazayit, you can have these together, or join together to get you a chayav malkot. Because as far as a chatat is concerned, they're all considered to be separate. The way Tosafot explained it before, because like Chelev Notar, you eat different Isurim, you can't bring one Chatak with them. Each one's a separate Chatak. When it comes to Machkot, they are Mitztaref. So Tosafot goes through a number of indurations with this, because it's not so clear that they are Mitztaref for Machkot. Then in the end, he brings from the Rebbeinu Tam, Efresh, the Surim Mitztarefim, Akol Mayer Litztaref, Lesoretakdeira, below the Machkot. Asurim Mitztarefim are not two separate things. They're one thing. Inami. Asurim is binetina tam, umitzarfim is bitarvovet yavesh. They're describing different methodologies. Asur is when they give flavor to something. So what's the isur? The isur is when they give flavor. Mitzarif is what happens if dry goods. Dry goods has nothing to do with flavor. It's got to be the quantity that's there. So the quantity mitzarif means that they are big enough to be a quantity that makes it asur. So he says those are the two possibilities. Asur and mitzarif might be talking about different types of mixtures. One's a liquid, or one is where you're flavoring it, the other one's where you're doing dry. Or the possibility is that a surim mitztarfim is a singular statement, which is, they are mitztaref to make the gdera asur. So that's why you don't have to split up what they do. Vamar chizkiah. Because you say, That's only if they are sweetening the gdera, the pot that you're putting them in. Because they are ra'oi to make the gdera sweet. 
Now, I don't know if sweet has to be taken literally here, but that they do the same function in the Gdera. They're all flavoring in the same way. You're not going to take something that's sweet and something that is spicy and you put them in and say, oh, they're mitzvah They don't function in the same way. Maybe if you use onion powder and garlic powder, you could say that they're functioning similarly. So when he says you put them together, there's a qualification for that. The qualification is that they all have to be of the similar nature or accomplishing the similar thing within the pot. Time of the chazum From that statement, that qualification of the brayta that we have in Avodah Zarah, it's clear that the spices are only mitzvah when they're of a similar ilk or they function in the same way. But our Mishnah seems to say that they are mitzvah irrespective of how they work. Our Mishnah just says, they're all mitzvah all spices are mitzvah How could you have that? Gemara says also, Our Mishnah also means it has that qualification. Spices be joined together to meet the minimum shiur of caring if they're this similar type of spice or they function in the same way or they're mitzvah kadeira. They do have that qualification. So even though it's not mentioned in our Mishnah, that qualifier applies equally to what we said in the Gemara and Zarah, as we say in our Mishnah over here. Tosfa mentions why the other spices aren't counted is because they give off a flavor that's not particularly favorable to the pot. So therefore they would be excluded. There they're not counted towards the Isur because we only make you culpable for Isur when the Isur improves the flavor of the pot. But you have spices there that are not, don't belong in there, that don't help out, and they're not counted towards the number because they're not in Tam de Fikam. They give a negative flavor to the pot. Okay, we'll stop here.